Amen. Thank you very much. All right, Acts chapter 8 this morning. And we have 30 days we start gaining daylight. 30 days. This week has just been a little too warm anyhow. So hopefully winter will arrive here before then. I heard that the northern lights are out, but my eyes froze, so I didn't get a chance to see them. Acts chapter 8, verse number 26, down through the end of the chapter. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, the man of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, sitting in his chariot, and read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. This is why you're here. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I accept man, some man should, should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so open he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee. Of whom speaketh the prophet? Uh, 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 the, uh, who, who speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Christ is the Son of God. By the way, if your Bible's missing that one, that's because you have the wrong Bible. We'll be dealing with that today. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotos, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask your blessing upon the message this morning. Lord, I pray that you would control what I say and how I say it. Lord, I pray for your mercy and grace. May this be a help to us. May it draw us closer to you. Lord, help me to stay true to your word and true to the text. Lord, use this to uh, uh, strengthen our relationship with you and meet the needs that are here. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who still needs to be converted as this Ethiopian eunuch. Lord, we pray that even this morning they repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be glorified and honored. Lord, I love you and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Again, last week we were actually not in the book of Acts for the morning service. We, I, I finished the Sermon on the Mount series, and I brought that last message from Sunday night to Sunday morning because it dealt with the three roads to hell. And so two weeks ago, we, we'd start, we got in here to Acts chapter 8. When we first started, we were introduced, of course, to Philip. He was one of those seven, what we call the original deacons, if you will, one of those seven incredible men chosen to try and be a help to the issues that the church at Jerusalem was facing. And they, they chose just incredible men. And Philip was one of these men. And we find him, when the persecution hits, he determines to go to Samaria. When he's there, revival breaks out. Multitudes come to know Christ. He is performing miracles. He's a powerful preacher. And, and so there's, the revival is so great that the apostles have to go check it out because it's Samaritans. It's, it's, it's what they call the half-breeds. And so they hear that a revival is taking place. So Peter and John go to check on it and to give their approval and put their authority on it. And while they're there, we have the, we have the account of a false convert. A man who makes a profession of faith. A man who gets baptized. But as we went through it, we saw what his motive was all about. It wasn't a humble man recognizing his need through conviction of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted the power that he saw in Peter. He wanted the power that he saw in Philip. He saw them as competitors. And so his real motivation was clear and Peter just outright lets him know. He knows you're not right with God. He said, you're not even saved. So we dealt with the marks of a false convert. But now as we come into this text, we see a true convert. A true convert in Acts chapter 8. What's interesting, now think about this. What's going to be taking place now? What we're going to be looking at in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, and Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 8, we have the salvation of this Ethiopian eunuch, a son of Ham. And it's going to be an important convert. Acts chapter 9, we have a son of Shem. We're going to see him converted, Paul. He's still called Saul, but we're going to see his conversion in chapter 9. Acts chapter 10, we're going to see a son of of Japheth, of Noah's sons, and Cornelius. So we have three incredible converts that are getting ready to take place in the book of Acts for us, that are lined up for us. And so we're going to dive into the first one here this morning, that of the Ethiopian eunuch. I did come across something a little bit interesting as I was studying for this. I can't remember, it was, actually I think it was one of the sermons I was reading, the guy had mentioned this. It was from a book, no, it was from an article if I remember right. I didn't read the article, he was quoting from the article. In the article he was talking about how long a sermon should be. And apparently, the average length of a sermon is 20 to 25 minutes. Well, we all know it's a sin just to be average. So I'm never going to be average. That's not right. All right? So don't think I'm going 20 to 25 minutes because I don't want to be average. Although the the point I said, I did like the line of this. I thought that's actually pretty true. The person who wrote the article had said this, John Stott. You might know who he is. He said, a sermon can be any length as long as it feels like 20 minutes. (laughs) So this two-hour message, I hope, feels like 20 minutes. So now let's get into this. I'm going to break this... I'm going to break this text down into three different sections as usual, like I did. We're going to see the meeting taking place, the message, and then the moving here this morning. And we're going to see God is the key of all of this, especially when it comes to a true convert. He is the one who is in control. He is the one doing the convicting. He is the one putting things in place. He is the one that knows right where you're at in life. 
So let's dive into this. Let's first, let's get into the meeting between these two men, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Let's look again at verse number 26 and read just a couple of verses here again. Verse 26 says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And he's sitting in his chariot, so we'll, we'll, we'll stop there for now. So first we have Philip. Again, he's been in Samaria, seeing great revival take place. The Lord is using him in a great way there. Multitudes are coming to know Christ. But now he is directed by an angel of the Lord to head to Gaza, to a desert place. Gaza, of course, was one of the major cities of the Philistines in the Old Testament. It's first introduced to us in the book of Genesis, but it has this, we see it primarily in relation to the Philistines. It's the place known where Samson took away the gates of the city. It's the exact same place. It was actually destroyed, that one. It was built in a little bit different location uh, prior to the events taking place here in, in Acts chapter 8. But we have God sending this preacher, the missionary, uh, Philip. This would be a strange request to him. He's seen God do great things in Samaria. I mean, he, he's seen multitudes come to know Christ. He's seen genuine revival take place. Yet now the Lord directs him. I'm going to send you to a desert place. Basically, along a road right now is where he's going to put him. Even though it's a strange request, he doesn't hesitate. He simply obeys where God puts him. He obeys God. He doesn't question it. When he was in Samaria, again, he was preaching to large crowds, seeing great revival. Now he is sent just to one man. I like that about Philip a lot. Because he, he, he wasn't about the man himself, what I mean by that. He was about the mission. He wasn't about his name. It's whatever the Lord wanted. Whether that was seeing multitudes come to, come to know Christ in Samaria and, and people hearing about it throughout the entire region or the Lord just directing him to go talk to this one person. Again, he was about God. He was about the mission. He wasn't about building his name. It's whatever the Lord wanted. And that's why the Lord blessed him. The Lord always blesses that measure of humility and obedience. And we see that in the life of Philip. So he obeys and he goes as he is directed of the Lord. And then we have the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, reality is, we, we, know, we do know about this kingdom. And it's not really of, of it would not be uh, where today's Ethiopia sits. This man would actually be Sudanese. The kingdom would began near Egypt. It covered all of Sudan and even parts of Libya. So, in today's, in today's, uh, um, makeup of northern Africa, this man was Sudanese. And so we know that he has a great position in the kingdom, a very high office. He is basically the secretary of the treasury. He's the finance minister for this kingdom. And this was a well-known kingdom during this time. So this man, in the position he is in, is perhaps one of the most trusted men in the entire nation. He's an important man. You can think because of his position in the Ethiopian kingdom of this time, he would have pretty good access when he comes to Jerusalem. He would likely even have a greeting taking place. He probably would even have the privilege of meeting the high priest. But what we know about him is this. He's seeking truth. I think more than likely that when he got there, he was disappointed. 
I do. The pseudo-Judaism is in full force. I think if the high priest, if he, if he met him, I think he began to realize the factions that were in Judaism between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, of how political it all was. I, I think at some level he had to be just, this is, this is it. Because you can think, so when he's in his kingdom, he had to come across somebody, whether it was a synagogue there, I don't know, but he came across some Jewish men that told him truth. How he needed to turn from the dead idols. How there was one true God, the creator of all. And if any man who would just ponder truth, genuinely seeking it, they would know that has to be right. It can't possibly be this idol that we're worshiping. It can't be that God is in, is in, the, is, is in the piano, he's in the trees, he's in this. It doesn't make any sense. So somebody told him of the true God, the Creator, and he responded to that light was given and he was seeking. But again, I believe when he got into Jerusalem, when he saw all that was taking place, I believe he was disappointed. He saw the corruption, the disagreements, the dead religion that it was becoming. But even though he left what I believe to be most likely disappointed, he was still seeking. And he was a eunuch. The word often denotes, by the way, used in this way, a government official who has no family, he's for the government, that's his life. And more than likely, that's, that's exactly how its, its meaning is here. He certainly could have been castrated, but, but it, it could have been either one of those. But more than likely, it is dealing with his government position and that now being his life and that is it. And if he was a physical eunuch, According to Deuteronomy chapter 23, he would have been denied access to the temple and even allowed the privilege to become a full proselyte, but we know that he was a proselyte into Judaism. <clears throat> so he is the secretary of the treasure, the finance minister in the kingdom of Ethiopia of this time, an important position, yet he is a Jewish, uh, 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 he's been converted over to Judaism. He had in his heart to know the true God. And from what he understood now, that was in fact the God of Israel. So he traveled to Jerusalem. Think about this. This is probably about a thousand mile journey for him. This is no small feat. But again, he gets there. And I can't help but think, because of how Judaism was. I mean, I'm sure he was excited about the truth that here of the true God, but just seeing how the religion was taking place there. So he's searching. We see as he leaves, he has a scroll with him. It happens to be the book of Isaiah. More than likely, he bought this when he was in Jerusalem. Perhaps when he was meeting with some of the priests. And he just happens to get a copy. Most likely purchased it, a copy of, uh, uh, of a scroll of the book of Isaiah. This is a man genuinely searching for God. He wants truth. And now we find him searching the scriptures. He has been responding to all the truth that has been given to him. This is always the mark of a true convert. <clears throat> He's in the Bible. He's in Isaiah. He wants truth. And know what? God knew right where he was. He's in his chariot. He's heading back. He doesn't have nearly enough information yet to understand salvation. But God knows he's genuinely seeking. 
And God is getting ready to intervene on his behalf and his sovereignty and in his providence. This, is a, this, this man wants truth. And this is always how God responds to people who want truth, who desire truth. God always gives more. I can think when I was, I can, when I was going over this and thinking about the Ethiopian eunuch, I can think in my own life, just as, a, just as a boy, eight, nine, and ten years old, I mean, looking up at the stars at night and wanting to know God. Know what that was? That was responding to the light that was given to me. And the Lord was going to make sure I heard more. He's going to do the same thing here for the Ethiopian eunuch. He's going to make sure he hears more. It wasn't a coincidence that the, that the one scroll he happened to purchase was Isaiah. That's not a coincidence either. And you can compare him right now to the false convert, Simon. Simon wanted to have power. This man wants truth. That's it. Simon was worried about his name and his position. This man is worried about his soul. And then we come into this meeting. Something that's ordained of God. Again, God knows right where he's at. He knows exactly what to do. The Lord goes to Philip. He's in Samaria. He says, listen, you need to leave here. I need you in another location. You're heading to Gaza, to a desert place along the way. That's where I need you to go. So he's prompted by the Spirit. He heads the, he, when he arrives there, excuse me, he's prompted by the Spirit. You see that chariot coming? There. Head there. So no doubt it's probably coming towards him. And he sees, the, he sees this group coming through. And the Lord tells him, that's who I want you to talk with. And he takes off after it. He runs to go and meet. You can see it here. Verse 29, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him. He gets there and he hears him reading out loud the book of Isaiah. Incredible. Listen, God knew right where this man was. Once again, it really is incredible. I mean, what? And not only is he just in the book of Isaiah, he happens to be reading Isaiah chapter 53. Incredible. What, what a perfect chapter to be in. The Lord's timing is, is amazing. How he puts all this together. He times it so that the moment that Philip comes up, as he's traveling along the way, he's reading in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53. Listen, if, if, if I am to use the Old Testament, and I can only use one chapter to present the gospel, do you know what chapter that is? Isaiah chapter 53. Hands down. Hands down. Listen, God knew right where he was. He knows right where he was. I was thinking I was going through this of uh, a, a, a couple of different people. One, I, I, we were on debutation. And I remember I started feeling really sick. I, I mean, really sick. Uh, I, and it just hit within seconds. I was feeling fine. I was like, oh, I got, I'm, I'm getting off the highway. And I get off the highway. I remember as I got off the highway, um, I felt fine. I, I told Mary, I said, actually, I feel fine, but we need fuel. I went away. And so I pull in. I'm getting fuel. And another guy pulls in on the other side of the pump. He's getting fuel. And I, I really wasn't going to talk to him at the time. I'm just putting fuel in my motorhome. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to go. And so he's looking at the motorhome a little bit. And he saw the Alaska license plate. 
And so he asked me, he said, oh, you're from Alaska. And so we got on a small conversation, and so while I'm talking with him, I hand him a track. And uh, the, which track was it? I can remember the title because that was the key to the rest of the conversation. Um, it, it, the track had dealt with something, the title of it dealt with something about knowing for certain that you would go to heaven. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was one of those. And I had handed it to him, and he grabbed it, and so we're standing really close. He's on my side of the pump now, and he's just looking at it with this stunned look on his face. And I'm just like, what? And then he told me, he said, on the way here, he goes, I passed a billboard that had, had said something similar. And he goes, for the last days, and when I've seen that billboard, I've been thinking and thinking on this. What's going to happen to me? What happens in the end? And then I come here and you're handing me this. Well, guess what that led into? Right into the gospel. You know what? The Lord knew right where he was. The Lord had to get me off that highway right there at that moment so he could have the conversation with that man. Why? That man was responding to the light that was given to him. He was wanting more. He was wanting truth. See, it's not about running somebody through to get him to say a certain words in a prayer that leads to conversion. It's that conviction on the heart and that person responding to it. And then when they see that need of genuinely coming to Christ, and you know what? He'll save them right there. And so as they meet here, Philip's at first is outside his chariot. He hears them reading Isaiah chapter 53. We see God's providence at work. It's all, I mean, if there's such a clear picture of just one example that goes from Genesis to Revelation of God's desire to genuinely see people saved. Listen, it's true. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This lie that's out there, the people like to deny the reality of hell. They base it like this. Well, well, if there is a God, He couldn't really send somebody there. Listen, you're wrong. He knows hell is real. It's so real that He was willing to become a man Himself, to take your place in punishment, to prevent you from going there. He's not willing that any should go there. That even if there's one that's traveling down the road, that He knows He needs it. He'll put a missionary right in his way. When I, when I was in PNG, I had, I had several different men like this. One came to mind when I was thinking of this. His name was Tuldy. Let's go ahead and show that picture, Josiah. I'm showing the picture because it was a warm day. <clears throat> I guess it's too cold to work, I think. I think it's frozen. That's Tuldy right there. It was a nice, warm day. That's Tuldy. So Tuldy, I led him to the Lord. Um, I was there for a couple of years when Tuldy got saved. I just started the work in uh, Kudu Kudu. He was working and going about a year, not even. And he started attending. And remember, after he put his faith in Christ and after he got baptized, he had asked to talk. And he had said, as you can tell, he's older there in that picture. He said he was a young man in, in that village, living there. That's where he's from. And uh, it was in the mid-70s. He didn't know the exact year or anything like that. It's New Guinea in a village. But it was mid-70s. And he said he remembered desiring to really want to know God. Um, and praying to that end. Praying that he wanted to know 
God. And this is what he said. Whether this is true or not, I don't know, but I, I believe that God works just like he does the Ethiopian eunuch. He, he does what's necessary to get truth to people. And he had said, <coughs> he said, he, he's like, well, you're, you're not going to quite believe this, but this is just what happened. He goes, really, I, I forgot about it for years. He goes, I did try a couple. There was something there called United Church in the Village. I think at that time that was all they had. He said he went there. He goes, I knew it wasn't it. I wasn't going there. And, and that he said, well, I, and I had a dream that I saw that there was this, he knew what a white guy was. The white guy would come, and he said he saw it with a white truck. And, and he remember had that dream, and in that dream, that guy presented him truth. Let's fast forward 30 years. I'm coming down. I'm in Kudakuda. This is the first day I met him. And I'm, I, he's walking down the road. I don't know him yet from anybody. And I get one of my bazillion flat tires. I get a flat tire and I got out of the truck. And he saw the white guy get out of the white truck. He said, when I saw that, I remembered that day back in the 70s immediately. And he said he knew that I was a missionary. He said, I was in church that Sunday. That's when I was there. And he goes, I heard the preaching. He goes, I knew this is it. This is it. And of course, he put his faith in Christ. You know what? The Lord knew right where he was. He responded to the truth that was given. Listen, God responds all the time. You have this argument that says, well, what about those in Africa who have never heard? I guarantee you, if they respond to the truth, to the light that is given, God always gives more. Always gives more. There will be no one that can stand before Almighty God and have excuse. No one. So they meet. He's reading there in the book of Isaiah. And then we get into the message. Let's look at this in the text. Verse 30. Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading there in the book of Isaiah? So, he, verse 31, he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And here, here was the verse he was in. He's in verses 7 and 8. It says the, in verse 32, the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb dumb before a shear. So he opened, uh, so opened he not his mouth, and in his humiliation the judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet of this, of himself, of some other man? And then Philip preaches to him Christ. He said, who's it talking about here? Look, let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 53. Look in Isaiah chapter 53. Let's look at the chapter he was in. He's going to preach to him Christ. So let's look at Philip's text. Look at verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. 
Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, and he, opened, and he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and has a sheet before her shears. Uh, is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall, uh, and by, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That's his text. Incredible. You could just hear Philip as he said, who's it talking about? And by the way, even in Jewish commentaries, uh, there are some who say, there are very few though, that say Isaiah's talking about Isaiah. There are some that say he's talking about the nation of Israel. But the overwhelming majority, when Isaiah 53 say this, it's talking about the coming Messiah. That would be correct. But that Messiah is Jesus Christ. So you could just hear, when, when the Ethiopian eunuch asked the question, who's this talking about? Who was this that was standing at a trial, that was saying nothing, that was led like a lamb to a slaughter? What's going on here? He's already got up to, uh, he's already got up to verse 8. And he asked him, when you were in Jerusalem, did you hear about a man named Jesus Christ? I get to hear his response. I have no doubt he did. Yes, I did. The miracle worker. The one they say that raised from the dead. Yes. This is talking about him. And what you're reading right there in those particular verses was when he was on trial. He was without sin. I could just see him then going through Isaiah chapter 53. Telling him how he was despised and rejected by the nation of Israel. How, how he was their Messiah, but they rejected him. How he goes on, how he bore our grief, he carried our sorrows, how he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. That we were the ones who went astray. We were the ones that needed to be judged. But he came to take our judgment, to, to bear our iniquities, to take our sin, to be judged in our place. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of, the iniquity of us all. This is exactly what the Ethiopian man needed to hear. This was the answer for his sin problem. He heard how he did die and he made his grave with the wicked. How it pleased the Lord to bruise him because he had made his soul this offering for sin that would justify many. And you could just see Philip telling him about Christ. About how those actions that took place just a few years prior to this how that was to save you. How He was taking your sin upon that cross. How we looked at it last week. How God Almighty placed upon His Son the iniquity of us all, being judged in your place. That He could give you His perfect righteousness. I could just hear Him as He even used baptism as an analogy, which would have been common, because that pictures a death, burial, and resurrection. 
And the eunuch, he's hearing this. This is what he wants. This is what he needs. And they just happen to come up upon water. And he says, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? By the way, let me just bring this up. They're traveling in a desert place a thousand miles. They got plenty of containers of water. If the Bible in any way promoted sprinkling, which it doesn't, they don't need a pool of water. It's not there. It's not scriptural. The word means to immerse. And then we see the response of Philip. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And then we, we have his profession of faith that is genuine. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now we see the man coming to know Christ right there in verse 37. Now, I want to address this. Even as I was going through the different comments, I got so tired of reading that how, yes, in many of our versions say this verse is omitted simply because it is not in the older manuscripts. Listen, if your Bible does not have that verse, we have King James Bibles right back there. We will give it to you. You need to leave with one of those. This is one of many reasons why we hold to the King James Version of the Bible. It comes from a line of manuscripts that were developed and put into a Greek text called the Textus Receptus. Let's deal with why verse 37 is not in many of those. The argument is this, that it is not in the earlier manuscripts. Let's see how true that is. I'm going to list you the manuscripts that it's not in. And there are a lot of them. The earlier manuscripts is one P45 in the 3rd century. It is one of the oldest we have. It's not in it. Verse 37 is not there. The 7th century then is the next one. Uh, There's one, uh, actually the 4th century there's one. It's not in that. uh, uh, They have all the names of of them here. Um, Most of them are very common. Um... You know, just single letters. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the earlier manuscripts, Acts 8.37, is not there. The earliest manuscript that we have this verse comes in the 6th century. So that means five of those that are earlier than the 6th century do not have verse 37 in it. Alright? So the first true manuscript coming down that has verse 37 is not till the 6th century. So the argument goes like this. That a scribe simply added it. Listen to me. Nonsense. A scribe did not add it. Do you understand that the five manuscripts prior to this one from the 6th century were from the Alexandrian line, from Egypt. Every single one of them which has had problems with manuscripts and verses gone and a direct attack on the Word of God from that family line for the last couple thousand years. It's not there. But is it true, though? So then why is it just appearing in the 6th in the sixth century? That doesn't mean that's when it was added. It simply means that those documents coming on those family line up to the 6th century, we just don't have them today. That's it. You say, well, is there any support... For that verse being in there prior to the 6th century. Oh yes. There is support for this verse before the earliest manuscripts exist. And I'm going to quote this for you. Here's why people need to do a little bit more research than just reading one statement. It's not in the earlier manuscripts. One, you better know what manuscripts they're talking about. 
You better know what family line they're talking about because there isn't just one family line of manuscripts. That's not true. You want to know the earliest date of this, uh, of this verse? Now, keep in mind, the earliest manuscripts that we're talking about here go to the 3rd century that does not have it. I'm going to give you a quote from a message from one of the early church fathers. <clears throat> Aeronaeus. This is in 180 A.D. This is more than 100 years earlier than that earliest manuscript they say didn't have this verse. And they like to just say, well, somebody just created it in the 6th century. Nonsense. Here's a quote from his sermon on Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> this was Jesus that the scripture was fulfilled in him, as did also the believing eunuch himself, and immediately requesting to be baptized, he said, then in quotes in his sermon, I believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. He's quoting from the text that he's using and preaching from. That is before that Egyptian manuscript. That is evidence and proof. Oh, that's not the only message. I get, we have others prior to those texts. Just look up the church fathers when they were preaching on Acts chapter 8. See if they reference it. They do. <clears throat> this is Cyprian, 250 A.D. In the Acts of the Apostle, let's quote from his message. Lo, here is water. What is there which should hinder me from being baptized? Then said Philip, if you believe with all your heart, you may. That's from book three of his treatises. He's quoting verse 37. That is prior to those manuscripts. So it wasn't a case of somebody in the sixth century, you know what, I'm just going to create a verse. That wasn't what was taking place. Just from what he was copying from it, had it, we lost what he was copying it from. That's all. That's all. Let's not forget, it is God who promised to preserve every word. That's what he's done. Why question if he is going to have the miracle of inspiration? It would make no sense not to have the miracle of preservation. And that's what's taking place here. That's what we see taking place. So, Let's go back to the text. He makes his profession of faith. He believes who Christ is. And then he gets baptized. And by the way, I want you to remember this. Baptism does not save you. It does not. Baptism is incredibly important, but water does not wash away your sin. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that takes away your sin. It is not water. Just like the Apostle Paul said when confusion was coming in, he said, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to... He separated the two. Is baptism important? It is. It's your profession of faith. It's your obedience to Christ. It's you saying, I believe Jesus died for me, was buried, and rose again. Somebody who doesn't want to be baptized, listen, there, there, there's major problems there. That is your first step of obedience is being baptized. Philip is ready. I mean, he, he's hearing the truth of who, of who Christ is. He knew what marked those converts was baptism. That was their profession of faith. Here's water. What does hinder me? I want to convert. I want this. Philip says, it's easy. 
You place your faith in Christ right now. I believe. You know what? He got baptized. That's a true convert. What, what were the marks of the true convert right here? It was a man that was seeking. You know what else he had? Much different than Simon. He was humble. Pride never leads to salvation, ever. You say, how do you know he, how do you know he was humble? He asked for help. He asked for help. He said, please tell me, who's this speaking of? I don't know. Who's this speaking of? This was a man responded to light. He's seeking God. He's humble. And he hears truth. He responds. Salvation is as simple as that. That conviction's on your heart of knowing you need this, of repenting and placing your faith in Christ. Realizing, just like Isaiah 53 teaches us, what Christ did 2,000 years ago was take your place in judgment. He went to that cross. He became sin for you. He took all your sin upon Himself. And the Father judged Him in your place. You know what it says in Isaiah 53? It'll just about bringing you to tears. Every single time you read it, it says this, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Yes. Wow. Because He knew what that would do for you. He knew what it would produce. It would allow salvation to be possible. He was... God Almighty, in His sovereignty, put forth an action that would satisfy His justice in order to save you from hell. And that action was to send His Son down here to take your place in judgment. That He would allow a transaction to happen where He takes your sin upon Himself and then He freely gives you His perfect righteousness. Oh, if you'll come to Him repentance and faith, He will save you. And then we have the moving. We have the moving of Philip to another location. We have the moving of the eunuch to joy. Verse 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotos, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So now we have the movie. So after his baptism, this is just a, a miracle that takes place right here. The eunuch comes up out of the water. Philip has baptized him. He comes up out. Poop, Philip is gone. Gone. I, I don't know exactly why, why the Lord did it. There, there's one thing I do know it did to the eunuch. It just solidified what he just believed in. I mean, he knew this man was set of God, period. Just for this purpose, uh, um, to allow me to hear this. And, and Philip was going, I also think the Lord protected Philip because I think Philip would have stayed with him and went into the Ethiopian kingdom of that day. But that's not for him to do. The Lord's, going to use, the Lord's getting ready to use another man for that name, Paul. And so the Lord moves him immediately and he's gone. He's not there. God moved him about 25, 20 miles north to uh, really a town in the Old Testament we know of Ashdod. Ashdod from the Old Testament, the Philistine city where they took the ark. So God moves him instantly 20 miles through a miracle, boom, he's transported, gone, he's there. And Philip then, he begins preaching in the cities all the way up to Caesarea. And what we learn about Philip is this, he actually ended up making that his home. We see him again, several chapters, we'll, we'll come across Philip again, still in Caesarea around Acts chapter um, 20 or 21. We'll come across him again. So, basically, he made his home. He brought his family there, and he settled down in Caesarea. The eunuch was moved to joy. 
he went on his way rejoicing. How could he not? This is what he'd been, who knows for how long, whether it was six months, five years, ten years, we don't know. But he knew he needed truth. He knew the idols he was serving in the kingdom it was nonsense. And then he heard about the one true God and how he was worshipped in Jerusalem. He becomes a, a Jewish proselyte. He, he converts. And now he takes his trip to Jerusalem. And he leaves there, though, with, with the, the scroll of Isaiah. He happens to be in Isaiah 53. God sends a preacher to him. Oh, and it makes such sense. He converts. His sin has been dealt with. He understands what life is about. Instead of him, by the way, in tradition now, we don't have any other writings of Scripture about him, that he became a missionary. I have no doubt. I believe that. Think of the truth he had, what he's going back to. He has Isaiah chapter 53 with him. He just heard a preacher expound on it. He's going back to preach. There's still groups, there, there are still groups in, in, in that part of the world that claim their historical line actually back to this land of Christianity. So he goes on his way rejoicing. And by the way, there's, there's other church fathers going back to the 2nd and 3rd century that talk about Christians who were led to the Lord by this Ethiopian eunuch. Incredible. So what we see here in, in, in a true convert, one, we learn this, God is sovereign, he's in control. He knows right where you're at. The key is for us to respond to the truth that is given and not play a game with it. To recognize there is a creator and you need him. He is going to judge you one day. That will happen. You have broken his law. You are guilty. The only way out of it is what Isaiah 53 is talking about. Through God who sent his son to die for you. To take your place in judgment. I am so glad that when I think of how I grew up so far from any truth, from any gospel, but that I had that desire there to know God and God responded to it. Allowed me to hear the gospel. That day on June 30th, 1982, when Pastor John Norris sat me down and went through it with me. So thankful for that with heads bowed and eyes closed.